All right, take two. Uh, some of you watching this right now might recognize uh, that we just tried this and it didn't work out because my internet connection went down, but I think it's okay now. So we're going to try again. Uh, welcome again to uh, our look at the book of First Peter. We're in our second session today. Uh, last week in our first session, we talked about the origin of one's rebirth or being born again. And, uh, and what we found out last week in our session is that it's through the action of God, period, on the sinner's behalf, that one is born again. He's the one who does the verbs, so to speak. God chooses us before time, Peter tells us, that uh, we would be regenerated. And then, and then in time, God brings those chosen to himself in the waters of baptism, bringing them new life, forgiving their sins, and washing them clean. You can see examples of this, uh, not just in First Peter, but of this teaching found in Acts 2, Titus 3, verse 5, Ephesians 5. I could go on and on, but you get the picture. So, as a result of being given new life, being raised from the dead, in the waters of baptism, as Romans 6 says, there are now certain characteristics that we're given that come with being born again, that God works in us. And Peter mentions four in the first part of his letter in chapter one. Today, I'm only going to spend time on two, and the next week we'll look at the next two. And the first one that I want to look at is actually found in verse three. So let's read that together. It reads like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, what does it mean to have hope in the biblical sense of the word? I want to hone in on that a little bit. Well, one writer defines it as a favorable and confident expectation. Hope is a favorable and confident expectation, I might add, of what Peter will go on to say in verse 4. Namely, that an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading is being kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In other words, the biblical worldview is that a person, apart from Jesus has no reason for ultimate hope at all. Because everything in this world will eventually fall apart. Now that's not just biblical sort of doomsayer teaching. That literally is what science tells us as well with the entropy laws. Everything eventually decays. Cars, boats, houses, whatever it is, eventually it goes away. It rusts. But the Christian has great reason to hope because their inheritance, their possessions are ultimately in heaven and can never spoil or fade there. So Peter wants to point his readers to that reality. Now, why is this so important for them to realize? Because they're in the midst of losing their earthly possessions. They're in the midst of losing their creature comforts, what little they may have had. Because they're facing persecution. They're facing all sorts of trials in their life. And Peter, when we face trials, wants to come to us and tell us, remember, 
This is not your home. Remember, no matter how bad it gets here, there is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading for you. There is a hope that goes beyond the things of this world. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. It's one of my favorite quotes. I used to have a, like a little plaque someone made in my church on my wall. He says, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. I'll say it again. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. Here's how Jesus said it. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Matthew six nineteen through 21. So Peter, again, reminds us this morning that the reason we have hope in this world is because of what Jesus accomplished for us in his resurrection, bringing eternal life to us, bringing new life to his creation. He has given us heaven. It's already yours, by the way. Christian, you possess that. You are a member of the kingdom of heaven and all of paradise, and it cannot be taken away because God has complete control over it. He is guarding it for you, it says in this text, in verse 4. He's guarding it. You can't, I mean, who can take it away from God if he's guarding it for you? It's being kept. And so these words inspired hope in these early Christians that uh, were being persecuted. And I hope they inspire hope for you today. Uh, now, there's a second thing he mentions going on to verse 6 and 7. It says this, verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me focus our attention near the beginning again there. He says, in this you rejoice. Joy. Joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit, and therefore will be evident among those who call on the name of Christ. Certainly not all the time. Maybe not as much as we might like it to be. But I think it's important to clarify what joy is. Because sometimes I think we assume that joy means to be like, happy. You know, like, I'm, I'm joyous. I'm a joyful person. And almost to kind of like fake it. And that's not the way, that's not the biblical understanding of joy. I would say if you want to think of joy, you, you want to think of something that's closer to contentment. You want to think of something that's closer to contentment no matter what one faces in this life. I don't think that you, uh, I don't think it's an accurate picture to just be like, I, I put on a, put a, get that, get, a, get rid of that frown, sad clown. Like, I'm, I'm smiling. It's not that. But it is, um, it is a contentment in the midst of trials and circumstances and difficulties. I remember when I was living up in Minnesota, I, was, I lived there for a short time. I had a friend whose husband had cancer. And I would ask her regularly how he was doing, and she would always say the same thing. She would say, he's not very happy, but he's got joy in the Lord. He's not very happy, but he's got joy in the Lord. And I always love that response because I, I, I get that. I get 
what that means. We don't rejoice because of our circumstances, but in spite of them oftentimes. Why? Again, go back to the beginning. Because of our hope in Christ and the heaven that awaits us. We rejoice because we know that whatever we go through serves to strengthen our faith and shapes us more into the image of Christ our Lord. That's what Peter says here in verse 7. When we are born again, we can have joy in any circumstance because we know that no matter what happens through Christ, we're going to have the victory. Now, it just so happens I had a very tangible experience of this yesterday. I was on a flight back from Oregon. I was doing some teaching out in Oregon uh, over the weekend, which, by the way, Oregon, oh my gosh, the most beautiful place, or at least one of them on planet Earth. Unbelievable. Way to go, Oregon. You did it. Um, but was having a great time out there. Got on the plane yesterday. On the way back, um, came through a spot of turbulence. It wasn't the whole flight. Uh, the whole flight, for the most part, was pretty comfortable. But there was this five-minute chunk of time where the turbulence got so bad that people were just, you know, being thrown out of their chair. And I mean, literally, even if you had your seatbelt on, you were, you were feeling thrown like you had no control over what was going on and being pushed side to side. And there, was, there were people around me as this was going on, literally screaming, like literally the, the woman directly behind me was going, ah, ah! I mean, it's screaming at the time. It, it was really terrifying. And I have to say, usually with this kind of stuff, I mean, I've been through turbulence before. Um, I don't get too riled up. I mean, I'm, I'm like, all right, it's just going to pass. But this time it was so bad that I literally, I mean, I was terrified. I was terrified of this. And initially I felt that fear. And so what did I do? You know, the only thing I can do in a moment like that, I, I just started praying. And I closed my eyes and I asked, you know, kind of frantically, I just asked God, you know, to save us. And if, but if he didn't save us, you know, I asked him to start, I, I started asking him to take care of my wife and my kids. If, if this was the end, I mean, I really got to that place in my mind. Like I thought it was a possibility. And here's the thing that happened. I mean, I can't explain it, but as we were continuing to have the turbulence and as the woman was literally screaming in my ear, I mean, she was directly behind my head screaming in my ear. I had this tremendous sense of peace at some point. I mean, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't like any sort of, you know, electrical surge through my body or anything like that. But I just, as the plane was shaking, I had this sense of peace, of, dare I say, even joy. Because I had a confident expectation that the Lord was with me. And that the Lord would be with me. And he'd be with my family. And that's enough. That's enough. That's the, the message. The message so often in First Peter is God is with you and he will be with you. And he'll guard everything he's promised to give you to the very end. And that's enough. That's enough. It'll be enough for you. Luther in his commentary on these verses said this. Quote, the consolation of the Christians does not consist in visible present things, which, however costly and glorious they may be, are nevertheless perishable and uncertain. But it consists in the invisible and future things, which are certain and eternal treasures. And so that's why a guy like the Apostle Paul can write from a jail cell rotting away to the Philippians, 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. That's it for today. I hope you are filled with hope and joy in the good promises of God today. And I'll look forward to seeing you again next week. God bless.